In addressing on the why we are called to be so many things as baptized Christians, I unpack the call to the priestly office in episode number 10, So Many Things, So Little Time, and the call to the prophetic office in episode number 11, Messenger of God. Just as Jesus is anointed as priest, prophet, and king, we, the laity, are also called to participate in Jesus' threefold office by virtue of our baptism. In our priestly office, we are called to be salt of the earth and light of the world, to consecrate the whole world to Jesus so that the world may be saved. In our prophetic office, we are called to be messenger of God, to proclaim and witness God's divine truth to the ends of the earth, so that salvation may be given to all through Christ. In this episode, we wrap up the kingly office as the last of the trilogy for the laity. What does it mean for baptized Christians to participate in Christ's kingly office? And what does that look like in practice? That is what we're going to find out in The King and I. Hello and welcome. The Setting Apart podcast is a pit stop where you can get nourished, encouraged, and refreshed whenever you need a break. I'm your host, IP, and every episode I get to share my stories, my outlook, my reflections on all things inspired through the lens of faith. So grab yourself a coffee, sit back, relax, and chill. Welcome back to the last of the Priest, Prophet, and King trilogy series. Not only will I be wrapping up the last of the trilogy, but this will also be the last episode for this inaugural season one of the Setting Apart podcast. It has been an incredibly good run since April 1st, where the first episode was dropped for the very first time in the history of the podcast. I have personally learned so much and I've been touched by so many of your sharing, feedback, and support. Now, Season 2 is slated to resume on Thursday, January the 6th, 2022, in the new year. So make sure you are subscribed, followed, and stay tuned. And if you're here for the first time, a big hello and a welcome. If you like what you hear, you have 11 past episodes to catch up on. So feel free to subscribe or follow the podcast so that you won't miss Season 2 in January 2022. Alternatively, I invite all of you to add your email on the Setting Apart Podcast website. The URL is www.settingapart.com contact. Now, setting apart is one word. That way, I can send you an email prior to launching Season 2. I will post the link on the episode note. With that out of the way, 
Let's get back to our kingly order business for the day. I'm going to kick off with Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, and verses 13 to 14 from sacred scripture. Daniel is the prophet who had a vision of the coming of Jesus Christ's heavenly throne and his everlasting kingship as the Son of Man. Then I will connect all the dots on the triple offices with the scripture reading from the prophet Isaiah, which inspired the entire reflection on the trilogy. I begin with Daniel 7, verses 9 to 10, and verses 13 to 14. Please feel free to grab your Bible and read along with me if you can. Again, it's Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, and verses 13 to 14. And I read, While I was watching, thrones were set in place, and one most venerable took his seat. His robe was white as snow, the hair of his head as pure as wool. His throne was a blaze of flames, its wheels were a burning fire. A stream of fire poured out, issuing from his presence, a thousand thousand waited on him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was in session and the books lay open. Okay, I'm going to pause here at the end of verse 10 and unpack it. You see, fire is an H-O symbol for God. Whether it be God making the covenant with Abraham in a burning torch in Genesis 15, or speaking to Moses from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, or guiding the Israelites with a column of fire in Exodus chapter 13. The Holy Spirit is the mysterious and abiding presence of God, and clouds appear frequently throughout both the Old and the New Testaments to signify God's presence. God was present in the pillar of cloud, that led the people through the Red Sea and the desert. We can see that in Exodus and the Numbers and even 1 Corinthians. The glory of the Lord that was revealed in the cloud after the feeding with the manna in the desert, we can see that in Exodus. And God was present in the cloud that covered Mount Horeb when Moses received the Ten Commandments. That was in Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 24. So through the desert, during the exodus from Egypt, the pillar of cloud provided a visible guide for the Israelites during the day, while the pillar of fire lit their way by night. The pillars of fire and cloud are indeed a dual theophany or manifestation of God. And I continue reading from verse 13. I was gazing into the visions of the night. When I saw, coming on the clouds of heaven, as it were a son of man, he came to the one most venerable and was led to his presence. On him was conferred rule, honor, and kingship, and all peoples, nations, and languages became his servants. His rule is an everlasting rule which will never pass away and his kingship will never come to an end. End of reading. 
according to Justin Martyr, an early church father who is a second-century apologist and philosopher. The words, as a son of man, indicate that he would become man and appear as such, but that he would not be born of a human seed. The one most venerable is God the Father, as witnessed by other prophets in Second King chapter 2 and Ezekiel chapter 1. I will post all the references made in the podcast in the show notes, so feel free to check it out. It will be available on the Setting Apart podcast website. Now, according to Agape Bible Study, the title Son of Man um, in Scripture usually means a human being. Now, God applies the title 92 times to Ezekiel and once to Daniel. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, for example, Jesus uses the title Son of Man for himself 32 times. In the Gospels of Mark and John, he uses the title 14 times. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus uses the title for himself 25 times. I guess that's one of the things Bible scholars do is that they count the number of times the name was used in the Bible. I mean, these guys are just meticulous. Continuing on, however, when Jesus uses the title for himself, he uses it not only in the sense of his humanity, but as the Messiah King in Daniel's vision. His intentional use of the title in this way becomes clear at Jesus' trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin when he uses the title Son of Man for himself the last time. Jesus tells the high priest, and I read, But I tell you that from this time onward you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has blasphemed. What need of witnesses have we now? We can see that in Matthew 26, verses 64 to 65. It was Jesus' use of Son of Man in his statement, quoting from Daniel 7, verse 13, that caused the Sanhedrin to condemn Jesus to death for blasphemy because they clearly understood that Jesus was claiming to be the divine messianic king of Daniel's vision. We can find that in all the Synoptic Gospels. Please check out the show notes on the Setting Apart podcast website, where I will be posting all references made for the episodes. Now, there are many passages to choose from in Scripture about Jesus' kingship. But Daniel 7 resonates with me. Not only it foretells the coming of the Son of Man in Jesus Christ, Daniel also correctly foretells the four beasts or kingdoms preceding Christ's kingdom of the church, namely the Babylon Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire of Alexander the Great, and the Roman Empire, respectively. Daniel also got a lot of details about the four beasts correctly, and that's pretty cool if you think about it. 
So Jesus comes as the Lord of all lords, King of all kings. He is not a king of this world. According to Lumen Gentium III from the Second Vatican Council, and I quote, To carry out the will of the Father, Christ inaugurated the kingdom of heaven on earth and revealed to us the mysteries of that kingdom. By his obedience, he brought about redemption. The church, or in other words, the kingdom of Christ, now present in mystery, grows visibly through the power of God in the world. Unquote. In other words, the one holy apostolic church on earth, as instituted by Jesus Christ himself, is the kingdom of Christ. It is the kingdom of heaven on earth. Okay, I'm going to highlight a couple of points on what it means to be a king. First, to be a king is to govern or to rule. Before we can exercise our kingly office in a community, we must first rule over ourselves, Not in the egotistical sense, but so that we are free from evil addiction so as to choose good from God. Now, quoting from Lumen Gentium 36, and I quote, Christ has communicated this royal power to his disciples that they might be constituted in royal freedom and that by true penance and holy life, they might conquer the reign of sin in themselves. So, only when we can conquer the bondage of sin in ourselves by our true penance and by our holiness can we then be free to experience the true royal freedom that we are called to enjoy. And to be holy is to love, right? We cover that extensively in episode number one. Now, once we accept this royal role in our own life, we can then bring renewal and a new life to others through Christ. So continuing on, um, Lumen Gentium 36, and I quote, They must assist each other to live holier lives even in their daily occupations. Unquote. So the laity seek to lead others to this life of peace found in Christ. The laity thus takes up the role of a servant king, wherever and whenever they are in their daily life. Now, I'd like to share the wisdom of St. Ambrose from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in particular, paragraph 908. And I quote, That man is rightly called a king who makes his own body an obedient subject and by governing himself with suitable rigor, refuses to let his passions breed rebellion in his soul, for he exercises a kind of royal power over himself. And because he knows how to rule his own person as king, so too does he sit as its judge. He will not let himself be imprisoned by sin or thrown headlong into wickedness. Unquote. Wow, how beautiful is that? Feel free to take your time to deliberately simmer 
and meditate on the words of St. Ambrose at your own leisure. So how does one grow in the capacity to exercise kingly leadership? By shaping our thoughts and our ways to that of Jesus Christ. As it is written in Isaiah 55 verse 8, and I quote, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, declares Yahweh. Unquote. The only way to do this is to have a deep prayerful relationship with Christ and pray for the grace of God, for without Him we can do nothing. So first, we must overcome the reign of sin in ourselves by denying our self-absorbed desires, pick up our cross daily, and follow Christ. Secondly, unlike worldly kings who lorded over others for their own self-interest, Jesus is a servant king whose interest is never about himself but those of his subjects. A case in point, King David, the author of so many wonderful psalms and who won so many battles for the Israelites, was considered a good king overall. Yet, it was also well documented that he lorded over his subordinate's wife to have him killed on the battlefield. We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 11. As it is written in Matthew 20, verse 28, and I quote, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Unquote. Here, ransom does not necessarily express the idea of liberation by payment of some price. Rather, in the context of God's liberating Israel from Egypt or from Babylonia after the exile. So in that sense, Jesus' death will bring about liberation for all from our sin. For Jesus, to serve is to reign. We see that in Lumen Gentium 36. And to continue from there, to love our neighbor is to love God. To serve our neighbor is to serve God. Do not look at the interest of self, but those of others, so that in serving Christ in our community, by our humility and patience, our neighbors might be led to Jesus, the King for whom to serve is to reign. As Catholic parents, for example, are we serving the spiritual needs and development of our children by directing them toward the accomplishment of their God-given missions? Are we educating them, shaping them, molding their behavior, infusing Christian values, etc.? Are we leading them to the ways of Jesus Christ? After all, Jesus is the way. In our community, are we following the service of Christ? Are we speaking out for the unjust? Are we fighting for the weak and the marginalized who have no voice? Are we feeding the poor, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, rallying the community to support one another? Are we leading others to salvation through Christ? Are we fulfilling our kingly role? 
Now, these are just some examples of how we can exercise our kingly office as laity. Now, I'm not suggesting that you do all of them at one go, but if you could, more power to you. But begin with one. Pick just one area where you can govern and rule like Christ and be the best king or queen that you can be. Again, in order to follow Jesus' servant king model, to reign is to serve. Jesus Christ, the king of all kings, gave his life to conquer sin and death, to bring resurrection and new life. By bringing Christ's leadership and governance in our communities, we offer renewal and new life where it is most needed. The sacred scripture that inspired this trilogy of priest, prophet, and king is inspired by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 to 9. I invite you to read along with me as I read and unpack them along the way. I am reading from the Jerusalem Bible. And I read, The Lord Yahweh has given me a disciple's tongue, so that I may know how to reply to the wearied. He provides me with speech. Each morning, He wakes me to hear to listen like a disciple. The Lord Yahweh has opened my ear. For my part, I made no resistance, neither did I turn away. Let's pause there at verse 5 and unpack that a little bit. We have been called to be a disciple of the Lord our God, and that's what this is all about. All of us, are called to live out his mission as baptized Christians. We are called to serve God by serving our neighbor in order to comfort or bring the good news to our weary neighbor. We must learn and study how to let God put his words into our mouth. That is how to be bearers of God's message and messenger of God's truth to our neighbor. To learn to feel what God feels. There is only one way. We must have a deep, prayerful relationship with God. Each morning, He wakes me to hear, to listen like a disciple. Each morning. Not some morning, not one morning, but every morning. Yahweh wakes me to hear, to listen, like a disciple. What do disciples do? To be prayerful and pay deep attention to Christ. So we pray over scripture and listen to the word of God. This is how we get to know Christ better, by building an intimate one-on-one relationship with God. We can start by engaging in a private conversation with God each morning. And when we get our year or our hearing from God as his faithful servant, we shall be strong in our resolve because it is the Lord who instructs what to say. And it is he who gives us strength. 
Now, connecting the dots on the threefold office of Christ, be it as priest, prophet, or king, we must first pick up the skills, knowledge, and understanding necessary to be his disciple. We must know Christ intimately to feel what he feels in order for us to speak or to proclaim out of that experience, out of our personal encounter with Christ. Recall we talked about how our personal encounter with God is the new seeing is believing in episode number six, my Lord and my God. Having the encounter with God gives us the faith to be obedient to his will and his mission. Hence, for my part, I made no resistance, neither did I turn away. With full confidence and obedience of faith in the Lord. So the first and the most fundamental step to be a disciple of Christ is to study and learn our Catholic or universal Christian tradition prayerfully with humility and patience. As St. Jerome puts it, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Let's continue reading from verses 6 to 7. I offered my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who tore at my beard. I did not cover my face against insult and spittle. The Lord Yahweh comes to my help so that I am untouched by the insults. So, too, I set my face like flint. I know I shall not be shamed. Okay, let's pause there. Here, the servant describes his suffering, which he willingly endures and does not resist. He submits to suffering and humiliation for the sake of God as he is struck, mocked, and spat upon. The challenges that disciples faced in Isaiah's time is just as relevant to us today. The fact is, truth hurts. It is not surprising that truth gets rejected and rebuked time and time again in the face of secularism, relativism, dualism, and all the selfisms. Even Jesus, despite all the miracles and signs that he has done, was rejected and cursed by his people. So as God's disciples, that is what we are up against in our royal mission. When I was a youth studying in a Catholic school, I used to mock at, you know, the turn the other cheek teaching of Christ. I remember making fun of the passage with my friends at school. You won't believe the silly jokes we used to crack about it. Little did I realize that Jesus was actually using hyperbole to teach us to be peacemakers first in the face of any disputes. But that only happened years later, after I was drawn to Jesus. So there are two takeaways I would like to share here. One, do not lose heart 
as a disciple, as quoted by Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta, we are called not to be successful, not in our human lens, but to be faithful in our clarity. Just do our part and let God do the rest. And number two, it follows that don't take rejection personally. As Isaiah puts it, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, declares Yahweh. But we are called to be obedient to our faith in doing His will. And that means doing what God wants, not doing what we want. If we keep doing what God wants, we know that God is with us. And how do I know what God wants? And that's why the first step is so critical. That is to study and to learn His ways, to have a deep, prayerful relationship with Christ. That will be a good start. As the servant of God, we shall remain steadfast in our resolve to fulfill His mission. We have complete faith in God, for God has never abandoned us. Never. We will not be disgraced because God will not only sustain us, He will ultimately vindicate us. We continue on to verses 8 and 9. My vindicator is here at hand. Does anyone start proceedings against me? Then let us go to court together. Who thinks he has a case against me? Let him approach me. The Lord Yahweh is coming to my help. Who dare condemn me? They shall all go to pieces like a garment devoured by moths. End of reading. Now this third part of the servant song reminds me of Romans chapter 8, in particular verses 31 to 34. Let me read it out for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who acquits us. Who will condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, rather was raised, who also is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. End of reading. So with these passages, we get the setting of a court in session. In that context, with God as the judge behind the bench, and with Jesus as our intercessor, who can condemn us? The answer is a resounding no. Paul goes on to state that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. As it is written, we know that all things work for good, for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. And that was in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. No one can condemn us when God is on our side. 
Amen? Amen. Now, the grace that flows from the passage is responding to our call to holiness so that we may be God's faithful servant with the courage and strength to stand up against sin and injustice, despite the opposition we face in our communities and in our families. Now, let us connect all the dots to my reflection on the threefold office of priest, prophet, and king. I started the trilogy of this series in episode 10, when I questioned, have you ever wondered how is it that, as baptized Christians, we seem to be called to be so many things? We are called to love, to be holy or set apart. We are called to deny ourselves daily, pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We are called to be salt of the earth and light of the world, to share the good news of our salvation to the ends of the earth. Then, we are also called to be priest, prophet, and king. Wow, so many calls, so little time. All these callings could be and might be overwhelming to the uninitiated. But if you think about it, all these callings are actually one and the same. To deny ourselves daily, pick up our cross and follow Jesus, isn't that the same as the kingly office to rule and conquer the reign of sin in ourselves so that we can bring renewal and new life to others through Christ? The call to be salt of the earth and light of the world is the same as the call to participate in the priestly office, to consecrate the world to God by our holiness everywhere, worshiping our God. The call to share the good news of our salvation to the ends of the earth is the same vocation as the prophetic calling to the laity, where we are called to be messengers of God and bearers of truth. So all of them can be attributed to our call to be God's disciples, if you think about it. Seen in this lens, hopefully, it doesn't seem so complicated after all. And Isaiah's reading today really brings out this clarity to me. We are all called to be God's disciple. To be his disciple, we must first conquer the reign of sin in ourselves. How? By getting to know God prayerfully, to learn his ways, to feel what he feels, and then speak out about that experience. To be his vessel, his instrument, let God put his word into our mouth and proclaim about that experience, that personal encounter with God to the world. Like many before us, we have some success in fulfilling the mission of God, or we may not, and that's okay. We are called not to be successful in human lens, but to be faithful in clarity. Our mission is to consecrate the world to God by our holy actions. We don't just talk the talk. We must walk the talk by our actions. And better yet, as Paul teaches, offer our bodies as the living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to God. 
To fulfill a mission as God's disciple is not a popularity contest. In fact, far from it. We may be mocked, prosecuted, spat on while carrying out our mission. But know this, if God is for us, who can be against us? As it is written in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things work for good. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So, what does being a disciple look like in our daily life? 1. We continue to deepen our knowledge on the Catholic Christian tradition by attending Catholic Bible studies, listening to Catholic podcasts, reading up on church fathers, participating in Bible sharing, etc. Make time for deep, contemplative praying. For example, Lectio Divina, Ignatius Contemplation, etc. These are excellent ways to develop a deep, personal relationship with Christ. Or perhaps, say the Shema, pray the Rosary prayerfully every single day. These are some simple examples. They are not recommendations per se, but a must. We must make the time to get to know God. How else are we to know Him? But whatever we do, do it from the heart. Notice I spoke about our Catholic tradition and all things Catholic, be it Bible studies, podcasts, etc. Now, I say so not because I am a Catholic. I am a Catholic, but I believe the Catholic tradition is not only the richest in the history and embodies the fullness of truth. It was started by Jesus himself with his authority explicitly entrusted to Peter and the apostles. I've spoken about this in episode 11, Messenger of God, and provided many biblical support for them. So that's the tradition and history. A word of caution, though. Do not become the Pharisees of the day. Do not be confined to just the letters of the law, but rather we should embrace and apply the spirit of the law. Go out and live out our mission by our holy actions, by our love. Love God, love our neighbor. Secondly, Share our faith freely. One of the things our Archbishop William Goh said in one of his homilies really stuck. And I paraphrase from him. Catholics do not know the scripture because we do not share or teach scriptures to others. The point being, because His Grace teaches scripture so much so that he can quote from scripture naturally. The passages from both the Old and the New Testament become so familiar that they naturally flow out of his mouth. Now, I paraphrase from Bishop Robert Barron, let the language of faith falls naturally on your lips, and we should do the same. One of the questions my wife asked, why do I keep listening to my own podcast over and over again. Yes, I do. I listen to my podcast many, many times. Not in an egotistical sense, 
But because I I think they are packed with so much goodness, right? I mean, there's so many Bible passages that I quote um, that resonate well with me. And there are many teachings from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the quotations from saints. I mean, these are just wonderful treasures that I like to listen to. And, and so I do. They are so beautiful that I'm just drawn to them. So that, you know what? The language of faith may fall naturally on my lips. And that's why I keep asking you guys to share my podcast with as many friends and families as you can. I mean, if they listen, fantastic. If not, and that's okay, right? But, you know, the thing is, we do our part and let God do the rest. In addition, there are many other simple ways that we can participate in our prophetic mission. For example, saying a prayer um, of thanksgiving with a sign of cross before meals in public so that people can see that there are people of faith among them. And as it is written in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 16, always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. But do it with gentleness and reverence. Don't be a Pharisee. Be the light of the world. Lead them to our servant king for whom to reign is to serve. Thirdly, and last but not least, we need to make time for prayer. How else do we feel the way God feels? His anger, his delight, his joy, his passion. Bishop Robert Barron says it best. How do you come to have those feelings? How do you come to identify what is God's manner of knowing and being? There's only one way, and that is through prayer, through a deep attention to God. A disciple who doesn't pray is no disciple. Disciples attend regularly, deeply, and powerfully to God, and that's how they get to feel the feelings of God. At this juncture, I wish to express a few words of my gratitude to you, my listeners. By subscribing and following my podcast, you have given me the biggest boost of encouragement and affirmation. Your fellowship has made the journey unbelievably rewarding. I appreciate every one of you who took the time to write me to offer your testimony, your feedback, and comments. Most of all, I treasure your friendship and fellowship. Other than your spiritual well-being, please also take good care of your physical well-being, especially against the backdrop of this COVID-19 pandemic that we're in. Please take good care and stay safe. I pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to enlighten you just like I've been. Let us continue to pray for one another. The Lord Yahweh has given me a disciple's tongue so that I may know how to reply 
to the wearied, he provides me with speech. Each morning, he wakes me to hear, to listen like a disciple. The Lord Yahweh has opened my ear. For my part, I made no resistance, neither did I turn away. My beloved SAP family, I invite you to get to know Jesus better today and contemplate on how you can be his disciple, to come to feel what he feels, and to proclaim that experience, that personal encounter with Christ to the world. Pick up a Bible and listen to what he has got to say. Thank you for listening to the Setting Apart podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and get notified so you won't miss any new episodes. And please feel free to give me your ratings and reviews so that others may get to listen as well. Thank you and God bless.